Section 3 of Humorous Readings and Recitations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julian Mihaeva. Humorous Readings and Recitations. Edited by Leopold Wagner. Section 3. Slightly Deaf by Bracebridge Hemming. Mr. Lloyd was a retired shopkeeper residing at the lodge, Norwood. He had amassed a fortune of £30,000 in the grocery business, principally by sending his sugar and flowering his mustard and other little tricks of the trade. Yet he went to church every Sunday with a clear conscience. At the time I introduced him to you, he was a widower with one son, Joseph, aged 18. Joseph was a shy, party-faced youth who had the misfortune to be deaf. Slightly deaf, his father called him, but he grew worse instead of better and threatened to become as deaf as opposed to Rabitel and time. Of course, his infirmity stood in the way of his getting employment, for he was always making mistakes of a ludicrous and sometimes aggravating nature. Add to this that Joseph was very lean and his father very fat, and you will understand why people called them feast and famine or substance and shadow. One morning after breakfast, Mr. Lloyd, who had been looking over some paid bills, exclaimed, Jaw! Joseph was reading the paper and made no answer. Jaw! thundered his father. This time the glasses on the sideboard rang, and Joseph got up, walked to the window, and looked out. What are you doing? shouted Mr. Lloyd. I thought I heard the wind blow, replied Joseph. Well, I like that. It was I calling. You? Yes, sir. Joseph invariably grew very angry if he didn't hear anybody, for he was ashamed of his deafness. But he often fell into a brown study and was as deaf as an adder. Besides this, he was more deaf on one side than on the other, as is often the case, and he happened to have his very bad ear turned to his father. Why don't you speak out? said he. I did, replied Mr. Lloyd. You always mumble. I hallowed loud enough to wake the dead. You know I'm slightly deaf. Slightly. You'll have to buy an air trumpet. Trumpet be blowed, answered Joseph. Here, put these bills on the file, exclaimed Mr. Lloyd, pointing to the bundle. Joseph advanced to the table, took up the bills, and deliberately threw them into the fire, where they were soon blazing merrily. Mr. Lloyd uttered a cry of dismay, sprang up and ran to the grate, but he was too late to save them. "'You double-barreled idiot!' he cried. "'What's the fuss now?' asked Joseph calmly. He always was as cool as a cucumber, no matter what he did. "'You'll never be worth your salt.' "'What's my fault?' "'I said salt. Keep quiet and I'll get you some.' "'No!' roared Mr. Lloyd. "'Why did you say so for, then?' It seems to me you don't know your own mind two minutes together. Mr. Lloyd stamped his foot with impatience on the carpet. Oh, dear, what a trial you are! he exclaimed. They are receipted bills, and I told you to put them on the file. F-I-L-E, do you hear that? I hear it now, responded Joe. It's a pity you won't speak up. So I do. They'll never call you leather lungs. Oh, Joe, Joe, you'll be the death of me. You're a duffer, and it's no use saying you're not. 
I was going to tell you I'd got a berth for you, but I'm afraid you couldn't keep it. What is it? Clerk in the office of my old friend, Mr. Maybrick, the stockbroker. Ah, huh, said Joseph. What's a mock-stoker? A stockbroker, shouted Mr. Lloyd. Why didn't you say so at first? Do you think I don't know what that is? I'm not quite such a fool as that comes to. You'd aggravate a saint, Joe. Paint your door. Have you gone mad? Great heavens, I shall hit you. Get out, shrieked his father. Got the gout. Oh, that's another thing. I thought you'd have it. You drink too much port after dinner. I say, Joe, cried Mr. Lloyd. Are you doing this on purpose? You don't understand a word I say. In fact, you misconstrue everything. If that is so, I can't help it. You're getting worse. Don't do that, replied Joe gravely. Hmm? Don't curse me. If I am deaf, that is to say slightly deaf, it is my misfortune, not my fault. You ought to make allowance for me and speak louder. Do you want me to be a foghorn or a revisting dog? Certainly not. Or a cavalryman's trumpet? Or a bellowing bull? No, father. Or, continued Mr. Lloyd with rising temper, a spouting wail, an old bailey barrister, a town cry, a grumpus, a locomotive blowing off steam, an Australian bellbird or a laughing jackass. I'm sure I never laugh, so you needn't fling that at me. I wish you were dumb as well as deaf, groaned Mr. Lloyd. Why? Because I might then get you into the asylum. Phylum, muttered Joseph. He's still thinking of the bills. Confound him, muttered his father. He's worth in a county court judgment. I don't know what to do with him. To soothe his nerves, he lighted a cigar, and looking in the fire, puffed away at the weed, while Joe again took up the paper and went on reading. Half an hour passed. Then Mr. Lloyd said, You know you're getting worse, but you're so obstinate you won't admit it. And it's six to four, you'll not yield. Joseph looked up with irritating calmness. No, thanks, he exclaimed. What do you mean? I never bet. Who talked about betting? yelled his father. You offered six to four on the field, and I didn't ya. Never mind, I shan't take you, replied Joseph. Mr. Lloyd got up and did a war dance. Who asked you to? You did. It only won six weeks to the derby, and Mr. Lloyd lost all control over himself for the moment. He took up the coal scuttle and threw it at his son, which was a very reprehensible thing to do. But it didn't hurt Joseph, for that intelligent youth saw it coming, and ducking his head, it went with a crash through the window into the street. That's a clever thing to do, said Joseph without so much as winking. You needn't get mad because I won't bet. His father shook his fist at him. You'll be my death, he replied, sinking into a chair with a gasp. I can't help it if I am deaf, rejoined the imperturbable Joseph. You're sharper than a serpent's tooth. It wasn't very sharp of you to break the window. Go to Putney. Where am I to get Putty? said Joseph. Send for a glazier. Bless us and save us, groaned Mr. Lloyd. There isn't much saving in having a broken window to catch cold by. Mr. Lloyd rushed into the hall and, taking down his hat and coat from the rack, put them on. Come up to town at once, he exclaimed. We'll go and see Mr. Maybrick. What's the good of a hayrick? asked Joseph simply. Huh? You can't stop a hole in the window with a hayrick. I said Maybrick, the broker, roared Mr. Lloyd, putting his hands to his mouth. 
I do wish you'd speak out. Get a trumpet here. Trumpet? We're not playing whist. Oh, dear, sighed Mr. Lloyd. He must be apprenticed to Maybrick. I'll pay a premium if it's a hundred pounds. I'm not a hog and don't want to enjoy this all by myself. I'll share it with another. It's too much for one to struggle with. I can't undertake the worry single-handed. It's too much. He had to go close up to Joseph and bowl in his ear to make him understand what he wanted, for he had never found his son's deafness so bad as it was that day. Joseph was quite willing to go, and quitting the house, they took the train and went to town together. It was yet early in the day, and they reached the broker's office about twelve, finding him in at that leisure. During the journey, Mr. Lloyd had impressed upon Joseph the necessity of keeping his ears open as well as he could, for if he made any mistakes, he would soon get chucked, as they say in the city, and Joe promised to be as wide awake as his infirmity would permit him. How wide awake this was, we shall see. Mr. Maybrick had done business with Mr. Lloyd for many years, and received him in his private office with all the cordiality of an old friend. Brought my boy to introduce to you exclaimed the retired grocer. "'Very glad to see the young gentleman,' replied Mr. Maybrick. "'Take a chair, have a cigar. Quite a tip of the old block, I see. What's his name?' "'Joseph. Joe, for short.' "'Very good. Now, what can I do for you? Are you going to open stock?' "'Not today. Markets are very firm. I didn't come for that purpose, Maybrick. I want to get the youngster into your office.' "'Oh, yes,' answered the broker. "'I forgot.' He spoke about it a little while ago. Last time I was up on board those Russians. Against my advice and burnt your fingers over them. True. Well, I'll take him. One hundred pounds premium, no salary, first year, then seventy pounds, and an annual rise according to ability. That will do. I hope he's smart. Smart as a steel trap, though sometimes he's a little absent-minded, and you've got to speak loudly. Maybe more than once, but that's only now and again. I'll write you a check and leave him here, so that he'll know the ropes. Very well. I dare say we shall get on. I've ten clocks, and I've only changed once in ten years. That speaks well for you. I read character and I'm kind, said Mr. Maybrick. Sit at my table, you'll find pen and ink. While Mr. Lloyd was getting out his checkbook and writing the draft, Mr. Maybrick turned his attention to his new clerk. "'Have you ever been out before?' he queried. "'Go out of the door,' replied Joe. "'Yes, sir, if you want to say anything of a private nature, I'll go with pleasure.' "'No, no, do you understand work?' "'I beg your pardon, I shan't shirk anything.' "'Bless me!' cried the broker. "'I mean, do you know business?' "'No business,' answered Joseph, with a solemn shake of the head. "'I'm sorry for that. Times are dull, though, all round.' I've got plenty, you mistake me. Don't run away with that idea. You won't find this an easy place. Got a crazy face, have I? responded Joseph. It's not very polite of you to tell me that. What the... began Mr. Maybrick when Joe's father handed him the cheque. There's the nitful, exclaimed Mr. Lloyd. Thanks, replied the brocading. I say, old friend, you think Master Joseph a little hard of hearing? Oh, um, not that exactly. What then? He's got a cold in his head. Is that all? Yes, he got his fees wet, said Mr. Lloyd confidentially, and I had to bawl at him this morning. I thought he was uh, <clears throat> a little deaf. 
bless you no raise your voice that's all you've got to do oh, i see it's better be like that answered mr maybrick whose doubts were removed the weather's been so bad everyone has had cold more or less telling the intelligent joseph that he should expect him home to dinner at seven mr lloyd took leave of the broker who gave his new clerk some accounts to enter in a book saying that he might sit in his office for the remainder of the day and he would find him desk room on the morrow after which he hurried away to see what was going on in the general room joseph hung up his hat and coat and set to work he certainly meant to do his best they say a certain place which the hebrews call sheol is paved with good intentions anyhow the fates were against him never before had his deafness been so bad it seemed to have swooped down upon and swamped him all at once scarcely had he begun his work than he was startled by the ringing of a bell it was just over his head and proceeded from the telephone now joseph knew just as much about a telephone as he did about the phonograph or the dot and dash system of telegraphy he sprang from his chair turned ghastly pale and fancied it was an alarm of fire what should he do for fully a minute he stood gazing vacantly at the box and the bell then it rang again joseph jumped half a foot in the air then he rushed into the general room where he found mr maybrick talking to a client please sir can i disturb you for a moment he said i'm very particularly engaged lloyd replied the broker excuse me but what is it there's a bell ringing oh the telephone i forgot to tell you to attend to it it's run twice then somebody's in a hurry answer and come and tell me what it is how do you do it sir speak through the instrument ask who it is and what he wants and put the tube to your ear the fright had somewhat stimulated joseph's powers of hearing for he caught these instructions and hastened back to the inner office after a little experimenting he put himself in communication and the following colloquy ensued who is it asked joe oliphant was the reply elephant mused joe that's funny but he went at it again what do you want by one o'clock sell ten thousand max rails joe heard this order imperfectly buy ten thousand oxtails he said to himself this is a queer business yet he wasn't discouraged joe hadn't come into the city for nothing he meant to do his duty or perish in the attempt right he answered is that all yes i'll call after lunch for the contract note very well sir having received his instructions joe very proud of his success in manipulating such a peculiar instrument as the telephone sought his employer well lloyd exclaimed the gentleman it's all right sir replied joe what is the elephant wants you to buy him ten thousand oxtails mr maybrick elevated his eyebrows who did you say he demanded in a loud voice the elephant mr oliphant i suppose you mean ah uh, it might have been oliphant or oliphant it was something like that oxtails why not max rails mexican railways you know hm said joe very likely are you sure he said bye oh yes sir that was distinct enough and he said he'd come after lunch for the distracting note contract note it may be that the gentleman didn't speak very distinctly oliphant has a low voice said mr maybrick thoughtfully but he's one of my best customers perhaps he's heard something 
he must have got some information i'll have a bit in this myself oliphant is a very shrewd and careful speculator that will do lois joseph departed highly delighted laughed mr maybrick when joe had gone and your clock is an odd one buy ten thousand oxtails for the elephant that's good i must tell that story in the house he beckoned to his manager who was a man named mappin and told him to buy the required quantity of mexican railway stock market's very weak sir it's fallen to-day one half already in anticipation of a bad dividend replied mappin can't help that mappin went away to execute the order an hour elapsed, and a special edition of an evening paper was brought into the office. It contained a telegram from Mexico, stating that there hadn't been one revolution and two earthquakes in that country before breakfast, as usual that morning. The railway dividend was remarkably good, and Mexican preference stock went up 5%, at which price the broker took upon himself to close the account, thinking his client would be well satisfied with his profits clever fellow oliphant muttered mr maybrick up to every move on the board deuced clever at that moment mr oliphant who was a stout red-faced man inclined to apoplexy rushed into the office he was agitated and looked as if he was going to have a fit close the account he gasped i have done so was the reply what's it a rise of five per cent it will ruin me groaned mr oliphant how you telephoned me to buy i said sell then my clock made a mistake exclaimed mr maybrick but it's a lucky mistake for both you and i for i followed your lead you're joking never was more serious in my life i'll give you a check at once mr oliphant's face brightened and i'll give your wooden-headed clerk a ten-pound note he said that may console him for his dismissal said maybrick dryly are you going to get rid of him most decidedly i cannot afford to keep a clerk who makes errors of that kind this time it has come out all right next time it may be all wrong just so replied mr oliphant he handed maybrick the ten pounds which the broker gave to mappin telling him to present it to joseph and inform him that his services would not be any longer required and the premium his father had paid should be returned by post. Then the broker gave Mr. Oliphant his unexpected profits, and they went out to have a bottle of champagne together. Mappin saw Joseph. "'What are you doing?' he asked. "'Doing sums,' replied Joe, which was his idea of bookkeeping. "'Well, you needn't do any more.' "'No, I don't think it a bore,' said Joe. "'It's all in the day's work, don't you know?' "'You're not wanted here.' "'Can't I hear?' what do you know about it the fool's deaf cried mappin raising his voice take this tanner and go joe heard this plain enough sacked he said laconically yes replied mappin nodding his head vigorously what for playing the fool with the telephone we've no use for you oh very well i thought i shouldn't answer you see we don't run our business on the silent system Joe put on his hat and coat with that perfect unconcern which always distinguished him. "'Good morning,' he said, pocketing the note. "'I say, I don't think much of the telephones, do you?' "'Yes, it's a very clever invention.' Ah, there is no accounting for taste.' With these words, Joseph quitted the office and took a walk in the city.
End of section 3